I try to be really realistic with people. Like, it takes longer than you want it to. It's going to be harder than you want it to be, and you're going to have to tweak a lot. It's not going to happen in four weeks. When you talk about your personal story and the autoimmune disease and where you came from, you have people who buy in. They're going to spend time investing in you. They're going to spend time to do the workouts because they believe in you. You have to really look at your life and figure out what's going to work best for you. Personal trainers are amazing, right? Having a personal program is going to be it. But if that's going to set you back too much financially or the commute's going to throw you off, if it's going to be too hard to get there, that's not the right move for you. Melissa Boyd. Hey. Thank you for coming down today. I really appreciate you coming out. Of course. I've been a, I've been a follower of you for several months now, and I, fricked, and I when I found out that you worked at, and I always confuse them, Tempo, correct? Tempo. I always mix that up with Tonal because all these new fitness companies are out here in San Francisco. Yep. But you've been doing a lot of great things with that, and I haven't even... I've seen what tempo is about with the, with a little device that has all the weights and how it syncs up to you when you do everything. But that thing is still so foreign to me. But I would love to pick your brain about that. Yeah, of course. So how long have you been a, would you call yourself a personal trainer or a fitness instructor? I've been grappling with, with this for a while because I technically am not training anyone personally anymore. But my job is kind of in between a performer a trainer, and then I do a lot of the kind of back-end engineering and programming stuff, so it's a little jack-of-all-trades wow. right now, yeah. <laughs> so how'd you get into fitness in the beginning? I wish I had a cooler story. I think it kind of found me. I wasn't very athletic growing up, super nerdy, um, really into, like, music and art, and just kind of thought sports weren't for me, like, dabbled in things, but just wasn't really that competitive. And then college age, I think probably just was like, I want to look better. Like it it was really just aesthetic and started doing like Jillian Michaels videos and no idea what I was doing. Right. Like beach body. And I was like, wait a minute, I think I kind of like this adrenaline and like moving really fast. So I wasn't doing it well, but just started working out probably too hard. Lots of cardio. Um, and then I took, I think my first like weightlifting class and it just all kind of clicked. I was like, Oh wait, this is what I want to do. This feels really powerful, and also I think I could do it better, which is a delusion I've had since I was uh, quite young. I'm like, I could do this better than anyone. So, so why, <laughs> so why a delusion? Was it that you think that it just wasn't, it was working so much better for you, or do you think that what they were teaching you, it's like, no, there's a lot of room for improvement here. I think I'm ultra critical, um, not judgmental, but critical. I have pretty bad ADHD, which can be problematic in some ways, but it does make you really observant. So when I take classes, I'm noticing like the music, the cadence, the energy of the instructor, the way they're making eye contact, and more so like how the people are reacting to what they're doing. So the whole time I take classes, I was like, oh, if they just did that different, they could have helped that person. Or this general cue would have helped everyone. And then it became like kind of a how to get all the puzzle pieces together. Um, so I just started getting tons of certifications, got... Um, my personal training certification did everything conditioning weightlifting was like I want to learn everything before I try to teach anything Um, and then started after that so did you start on your own your own personal business or you started let a gym like crunch 24 hours something like that no I started teaching bar classes at I think they're now out of business and then I did lots of personal stuff for like people at Google and Twitter so I was getting a little bit of both and really teaching a wide range of people, like super beginner, which I think is helpful when you first start training. Because if you train really advanced people, you never learn how to actually cue or you don't have to be that good. You can just kind of 
let them be athletic. So I think that really helped in doing group and personal. So about five years in, I opened my own studio in the city, which was amazing, but it was small group resistance training and really, really focused on rehab. So a lot of people that maybe got into fitness and didn't do it well, and I needed to kind of reteach them how to move. So gotcha. Yeah. Well, that makes total sense there. Uh, what were some of the things that you saw that you said, you know what, this is specifically what I can improve on. Was it just fitness world is it's so inundated. Like if you don't know specifically what you're doing, let's say you're 25 years old, you're like, I just want to get in shape. How do you know where to start out? I mean, cause everybody's an expert. Everybody says it's the diet. Everybody says it's the strength training up. It's the cardio. You want to look like me, you got to do this. And then some people are on, you know, extra, you know, things that help them look a certain way. Like, remember those old Bowflex commercials? Oh, yeah. You know, everybody thought, oh, if I get a Bowflex, I'll look like that guy who has 3% body fat or that woman who has 10% body fat. That's all I need is this whole thing. It's funny how they play those games with you. You're like, yeah, this person got that way, but it wasn't maybe just from the Bowflex. There's probably other things going on in there. So, yeah. so what have been some of the things that you've seen right away that were, okay, this is what I really want to address and fix? I, I think it starts with me having so much empathy for people trying to get fit because there is so much bad information and it's really, really hard to figure it out. Um, everyone's selling you something. It's really kind of unregulated space so far. And unfortunately, because we're human beings, we look at someone that looks really fit and assume they must know a lot about getting fit. Yeah. Um, and I get it because I see someone too and I'm like, oh, what do they do? But what they do is probably not what you need to do. And no one wants to hear that. They want to hear they can do this thing for 10 minutes a day. If they take this pill as well, they'll be super fit. But it's so much trial and error. And I think with my gym, I really tried to push that. Like, you are you. You're not me. I'm not going to give you my plan. I never talk on Instagram on anything about my nutrition personally. I might give a recipe, but it's not my macros. I never really do body shots anymore because I don't think it's helpful to people. Um, I've even kind of strayed from doing a lot of fitness videos because that might not be the right movement for you, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you throw that into your schedule, it may not make any sense just because it looks cool for me. So I try to be really realistic with people. Like it takes longer than you want it to. It's going to be harder than you want it to be. And you're going to have to tweak a lot. Like mm. your schedule, your obstacles, like it's not going to happen in four weeks. You're not going to suddenly be in a Marvel movie because you did Pilates two times a week and drank green juice. And people don't want to hear that. They really don't. So they'll go from thing to thing. And eventually they usually come back because they're like, wait, I guess I just have to be patient. I guess I have to make myself the experiment. So my gym was really good for that. I did no... Um, any sort of marketing. I just let people invite other people and we got really busy and it became just a really positive space for people to work on themselves. They knew that they could make modifications. They knew all the trainers were there for them, not to just like play cool music and look cute. Yeah. So we really tried to push like, you've got to take care of you first or be your own coach and like teach people how to constantly manipulate their programming and be flexible. So gotcha. Yeah. So how long did you have your own gym for? Five years. Five years, wow. Yeah, right before the pandemic, we uh, kind of lost our lease, which was a that makes sense. blessing. And <laughs> like, I was so sad at the time. It's like, I don't want to find another space or rebuild. We had such a passionate community. 
But man, oh man, having a brick and mortar space during the pandemic would have been, I think it would have killed me, honestly. Not being able to pay employees, like yeah. trying to do the virtual thing, just a nightmare. Wow. Yeah. And is that where you found Tempo? So I'd been consulting with them for a few months before, about the summer of 2019. So that's right before the pandemic. Um, but I was really not into it. And not because of tempo as it is, but it, it was just like videos at the time. Didn't really fully understand what the concept was and was really against virtual training at that time. Mm. It, I didn't see a ton of benefit in it because I'm so hands-on with my training and I think people need to really get that customized workout. So online, I'm like, you can't. You're just watching me. We're really not good with body awareness. Most people, like if you've ever taught group fitness, you see it, you're like, hinge and everyone's doing all sorts of things like ladies doing the worm over there a person's they don't it doesn't register until they really know that movement and I was like online I can't do that I'll just teach you something and you won't get it and then I won't really be helping you I'll just be selling myself but we was I was doing tempo for a while and as I saw the actual product being built and got to really work with the founders and we were super small team at the time there's like five of us really got involved in the programming and how we could make the AI work as a human, but how humans had to make the AI work better. The machine learning is, is more technical. Um, so it's really still, they can't do it without the human. The human can't do it as well without the tech. Mm -hmm. So it kind of takes out all the notebook stuff. Like I don't have to write down someone's measurements or their heart rate or how many reps they got. Like tempo is going to do that for you, which mm -hmm. is cool. It takes out all that. And it'll tell you, you did this much better today. Your recovery is kind of down. So maybe take a little break, drop your weights. And it gives you the incremental increases that your trainer would do. Um, so I think it pushes people a little harder than they think they might. They'd pick up the 20s every day yeah. in every class, you know, and this will be like, why don't you try the 25s today? So yeah, I, I saw that on the, I think it was the YouTube advertisement for it a couple minutes where it said, it tells you you're doing really good with 25 pounds. Okay, yeah. let's up it to 30 pounds. Let's see how you're doing with your repetitions and your movements and it's tracking your, how your arms are moving. I'm like, this is some crazy tech because you would have thought back in the day, it's like a Jane Fonda video. You put the video on and you just do it. You have no idea if you're doing it right. If you think you're doing it right and you're missing a form piece that's throwing you off, you don't know because the person's not telling you, hey, this whole time you weren't doing it right because they're not there in front of you. So maybe you're getting a cardio workout, but are you really getting the full benefits of the exercise? Totally. And do you have the like weights you need? Do you even know what, I, I always talk about this, but do you know the difference between like discomfort and pain? Mm -hmm. And when people first work out, they don't, they're like, this feels painful. It's a different sensation. It feels uncomfortable. So helping people kind of figure out like, it's going to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really not that fun to work out. I say this a lot. I'm like, it's the after you're looking for. It's like the benefits of the workout, but in the middle of it, it's mm -hmm. not, it's not great. I know. It, <laughs> yeah. Trust me. There are days like for me, it's late day. Every time you know it's late day, it's, this is going to be a, yeah. I'm already in the wrong mindset. This is going to be a miserable, a miserable day, which I know it shouldn't be because then it'll throw me off. But yeah, for me doing squats and deadlifts are okay, but squats is just, that's just not my thing. And of course I got to do it because it's part of the routine. Otherwise right. it'd be all imbalanced. Yeah. And that's not going to work for anybody. We can't do that anymore. <laughs> I know. So how would you describe your client? Is mm. is it a he, she? Is it, uh, are they 20s? Are they 50s? What's your clientele look like? So I tend to have more women. Um, later in, 
in my gym in Salt, we had a lot more men. So they started bringing their boyfriends. Boyfriends got really into it. Husbands, whatever. Um, but they tend to be more like middle-aged. I think my training style is really, I like to say rational. Like I don't do a lot of fluff. I really talk about cues. But then when people are going, I just try to have fun with them. Make sure the music always makes sense for the group. Like really tailor it to the group I have. So I think because of that, I get a lot of like moms more in the like 30 to like 55 range. Um, and I had a lot of service industry people. I worked in hospitality for a long time. I was really passionate about getting servers and bartenders to be a little bit more fit, more healthy. So I used to have classes at like a two and three o'clock, which is not a normal time for a gym to have classes. They usually are dead during the day, but that's when servers and bartenders get up and they actually have the energy. So I would do a lot of sponsored stuff with brands that were looking to like keep people a little more fit and well. And I still do a lot of that work. So that makes sense. Yeah. Would you say that most people are I mean, like, I was wondering this, are people looking just to go to a class to get the workout, to feel good, get the endorphins and then whatever the result is, they're like, Hey, I'm good with it. I feel good during the workout and I'm looking better. Or are they saying, you know what, I just, I want the body like she has. Now, what do I do there? And are they ready to commit to take the next steps to get to that level? Do they even have the time to do that? It's both. And I think that's why I try to be really honest. I'm like, I love that goal. Let's break it down a little bit more. Like, I used to get a lot of people to come in with the 10 pounds. I feel like that's just this weird sticker we have where it's like, I need to lose 10 pounds. They don't know what that looks like, actually. They don't know what that'll feel like. It's just this idea of like, 10 pounds less will be what I need. Yeah, they want the scale to say 10 pounds lower. And then Exactly. <laughs> but then they get there and they're like, wait, maybe this isn't what I wanted. I still don't have six pack. May, like maybe I lost my butt a little along the way. Like they're not thinking about everything that goes along with losing 10 pounds. So I usually would do like an intake and kind of try to get it down to the smallest goal to start with. And then hopefully along the way, get them really excited about something else. So always an aesthetic goal, because that's what most people come to you with. I'm not going to be like, no, you can't look different, because we want to. Like, that's yeah. silly. But I would try to always attach a performance goal as well. So maybe you want to get your first pull-up. So that's some way we'll train you. Still thinking about your aesthetic goal, but we'll start to like have a more performance angle in your programming. Mm. Maybe you want to deadlift for the first time with big plates, or just something we can really just guide ourselves towards. And a lot of times people fall in love with the strength part. They fall in love with like how good they feel and the aesthetic stuff still there, but they don't become as obsessed with it. Um, so that's one client. Then we have a lot of people that are like, I'm getting married and I want to lose this amount of weight or look this good in six weeks. Mm. And those people often are really just doing that. They're going kind of like balls to the wall for a while, lose a bunch of weight, and then sometimes they'll come back three months later and kind of slow it down and try to rebuild. But those were never long-term clients. I just figured they'd be in and out and kind of give them the, it's not going to be fun, but you can do it this way if that's really your goal. Gotcha. Do you yeah. think that's the same challenge a lot of personal trainers have is that, you know, it's an industry where people who are doing this have a passion to help other people look good and get to their, their goal dreams. And then the business side comes in, which is, all right, am I going to get long-term clients who are going to be committed to, to the goal or am I going to get a lot of people like a turnstile? Like they're here for four months, they accomplished what they said they wanted and then they're out of here. 
Uh, and then how do you really build a business model off of that? Do you just want to, okay, I'm just going to create programs for the people who turnstile. And as long as they get more people in, that's all that matters. What they leave, they leave. Or you know what? I really want to build one where I can really have my loyal clients who are here with me for years on end. We're growing together. We're both learning from, from each other. We're helping teach each other. It's like, if you're a personal trainer, how do you really take what's real out there and a lot of people just coming in and out versus trying to build something for the long term? How does that work from your experience? I think it's really it's really difficult. It's a much harder job than I, th- I think a lot of people give you credit for. If you're working at like a big box gym, they're going to give you every person that signs up. They get that free first personal training session. And those people you kind of have to, I mean, you, you can't do a lot. Yeah, you yeah. can't do a lot. So you listen to them. I usually would think like when I first started, if this goal is so irrational, like if it's so unrealistic, I'm probably not going to see them again because they're already, they're somewhere else. They're looking for a quick fix or they're trying to change too many things at once. Um, and we may just not align. Mm-hmm. They might just want to go with the, you know, super ripped guy that's going to yell at them the whole time. We all have a different flavor. Right. So I usually just look for people that connected to me that were like, okay, that makes sense. Or, okay, I will slow down a little or cared about the habit change portion too, which is something I got really, really passionate about when I realized how hard this was going to be to keep people on it, like to keep them coming back and to realize that this is not two days a week. It's going to yeah. be all sorts of changes and you can't do them all at once. You're going to have to keep navigating different ways. Um, and it's not going to be fun. I say it a lot, but like the middle is the most important part. The beginning's exciting. You get new clothes. You usually lose weight pretty quickly and put on muscle really quickly when you're first starting. And then there's a plateau and that's like the most important part. You're just grinding it out for years, for months. Like those goals are really tough. There's no end for fitness. So there's not like a, you got to 10 pounds, but now what? You're not just going to stop. You've got to keep going. So, yeah. I, I, for, I forgot what that's called, but it's this it's this equation where you start something new, you just jump up, you see results, great, and then you hit the plateau like you're talking about. But that's when you really got to grind, take it to the next level. Then you'll plateau again, yep. and then it keeps on going. But usually getting people past that first plateau is so challenging. They're like, oh, I'm not seeing results anymore. It's not working anymore. So this is who I am. This is what I'm left with. Yep. And it's, it's just... Fitness is such a lifelong journey. It's not a end goal. There is no in two years I'll have the body of my dreams and I can just sit back, drink beer, and put my feet up on the couch. Like right. it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way with anything in life. No. We all have to keep on going. It's a grind. It overall wellness that I mean we, we know so much more now about fitness and health that our parents never did. I mean, my parents didn't know anything about no. trans fats or oh, this is just it's a hamburger, it's it's calories. What's just the difference? Then you get old and you learn about all those nutrients you weren't eating as a kid and that what you need to fuel your body now. And how do you stay looking younger than, you know, your dad who was 35 and already had a beer belly balding? And how do you just get away from all that? Yeah. Just so much information here that it's but it can be inundating for people to say, this is just so much to process. I have no clue how to deal with this. I mean, I get it, too, because you go on the I mean, thank goodness for the Internet. We can learn so much so quickly. But people are selling you things. And whenever there's something that's kind of fear-based or you want to look a different way because you think it's going to make you feel better, make you more successful, people can sell you something. So if you do hit that plateau, a lot of times people just immediately run back to something that they know, like quote unquote. So I would have clients come in, see amazing results, like getting so much stronger, rehabbing shoulders, just feeling genuinely great. 
And then as they're getting closer and closer to what they thought was their goal, they would panic and do exactly what they used to do. That didn't work. They'd start running every day, taking more hit classes back to back, not eating enough. And they would see that things reverse. But it's this like weird thing we have in our heads where we're like, oh, we're so close. Now we're going to like panic and go into like this overdrive that's not actually going to help you in the long run. And then they'd come back and be like, what did I do? I know. It's just so easy to get off track when yeah. you hit that plateau and you, you're right. You start panicking and what do I do from now? Yeah. Uh, one thing that I'm actually curious to find out is what's been the biggest, since you deal with a lot of female clients, what's been the one thing, if you can put, put your finger on it, that they always say, I don't want to do this? Because I'm guessing it's going to be. I would like to live with weights, but I don't want to get big. Oh, that is actually finally starting to, to slow down. But for a long time, it was, I don't want to get bulky. I don't want to get bulky. And I'm like pretty petite, but I have a decent amount of muscle on me. And a lot of times it was like, well, I love your arms, but I don't want my arms to look like that, <laughs> which is pretty funny. And, and my answer was always like, oh, they won't. Like it takes a lot, a lot of work and I'm not trying to be condescending, but I would, I would really like break it down for people, how hard it is to put on muscle for most people. Of course there's genetic freaks out there, you know, like bless them. (laughs) But for most of us, it's grinding. It's like constantly progressive overload, adding more weight, eating a ton of protein, making sure you're getting the sleep you need to get. You're not overdoing your cardio. There's, it's so much math and equations. I mean, we joke bro science, but they have it down. They, oh, yeah. they know what they're doing. You know, they've got like, their reps and sets and they can really put on muscle. It's not that easy. So if you want to get body composition change, you have to add muscle as well. Or you're going to get the skinny fat that no one wants. You know, you're going to start to lose fat and your butt's going to get a little flabby. And, you know, <laughs> there, there we go. So I think most people started to get it and you add that heavier weight. And then they start to feel that like, oh, I feel a little bit more powerful. Like I feel... Stronger feels good. I say it to my older clients all the time. Nothing makes you feel bad when you're stronger. You're not like, dang it, I can lift this thing over my head with ease. Like, oh no, I can carry my groceries. Like those things make you feel better day to day without maybe even you noticing. You're just like, oh, that was easier. My life feels easier when I'm strong. And that usually could get through to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, no, it's a great point because once you get over those, you know, cliche perceptions that if you lift too much much weight as a woman you're going to get this big bulky legs and look like Miss Olympia or something like it doesn't work that way Mm-mm. like the women who are in those competitions that have the huge muscles like they're taking something <laughs> that's not nat- a natural for a woman to be like that huge and bulky without a little assistance and very very uncommon yeah there, I mean of course there's like these gen- there are genetic just like superheroes but if you're getting that much muscle on you you're doing something else I'm like if you like that go for it but yeah, picking up a couple dumbbells and doing bicep curls twice a week is not going to, you're not going to blow up. You're not Popeye, you know? Exactly. <laughs> so for you personally, for Melissa Boyd, yeah. what does your daily routine look like? Because you've been doing fitness for a long time and it definitely shows you definitely take care of yourself. But what's your daily routine like when you balance fitness, working out with all the ligaments you have in life? Yeah, it's tough and it's definitely had to ebb and flow. I think like I preach that because I've had to do it. I've had injuries that like set me back. And I think if you're someone that does movement for your job and for your passion and for your hobby, when you get set back, it can be really depressing. Like you don't know what to do with yourself. So after a couple like pretty gnarly injuries, I really finally started practicing what I preach and doing a lot more low impact movement, giving myself grace. If I didn't get to the gym early, like don't run at midnight, 
like you're not competing take a night you're fine so I try not to think of my workout weeks as like the actual Monday to Sunday anymore it's just how many days in a row I do if I took two days off then I'm on two I just try to always keep it pretty balanced but right now I probably lift four days a week like full body I don't do splits anymore it's just too fatiguing um and I have to do a ton of other stuff so I train on camera for tempo three days a week usually and for like two to three hours in those sessions we do the whole thing so it's one take you talk the whole time you do it the tempo you want people to do it um we write the workouts very specifically so if I'm writing a hypertrophy workout I want you to get 12 reps in this amount of time I'm going to do it with you but I'm doing the whole thing there's no skip ahead there's no repeat so I have to really pre-plan because if that if I'm doing three lower body workouts in a day and I did lower body at the gym the day before there's no way I'm recovering so I'm going to feel like crap even if it's lower weights like repetitive motion is not good for you either so I've had to be a lot more flexible which I realized I wasn't with my own training Um, and I do a lot more just like Pilates wellness movement I do things for fun now too I'll take like a tumbling class or I've been doing pole because I'm so bad at it. And I the pole dancing. Yeah. I try to do something awesome. that like really pushes me out of my comfort zone because I feel like I ask people to do that. Mm-hmm. So I took like a clowning class that was like all physical comedy. <laughs> I'm like, I just try to get some joyful movement in too. So it's not just me like grinding out sets and reps and getting like kind of upset about anything I miss. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So is tonal tempo see i did <laughs> hey, it again it's all good <laughs> so is, is tempo your primary money maker or that's pretty much your full-time job there you do other things on the side yeah so since we kind of went live i've been kind of the pr side too um i'm one of the head coaches and i do a lot of like their in person and gotcha. and press stuff so i've been full-time with them since the beginning i still do pop-ups but the job's really all-encompassing there's a lot of computer work I believe it yeah a lot it's it's a tech startup so I have like the fitness side which is cool but then there's a this very you know busy other side as well so I'm on the computer a lot which is ADHD and movement not good so I walk almost consistently when I'm working on the computer everyone laughs at me they're like are you on your treadmill again I'm like it's so slow but I just have to like kind of move my legs while I'm doing computer stuff where I go crazy. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I was asking because it reminds me of a professional athlete, basketball player, football player. Your job is literally to work out. That's your thing. But then mm-hmm. when you're not working out, like at a game or whatnot, you have to be in the gym to make sure that you're in shape to be able to go and perform. So you're getting paid to essentially work out. And you always see stories of like former NBA players, like 10 years out the league and then everything is just the beer bellies out and whatnot because they're totally out of the routine that they had to be in when they had to be in shape. Yeah. Uh, and some people always say, you know what, if I had a job where I got paid to work out and I could go to the gym, oh, that, that would be, that would be so awesome because then I can look, have the body of my dreams and do whatever I want. And a lot of us, especially around here with the tech industry, we don't have the luxury of having jobs that we can work at. A lot of people are like you, they're just in front of the computer all day. Yeah. And then trying to balance that with getting in the, in the gym, which especially if you don't have the routine built in, like I have to go to the gym, that's just a chore just to get you to want to go for oh, a lot yeah. of people. And then commuting and then people who have kids balancing all that. It's, it's a lot for most people to say, geez, there's no way that I can get, you know, the body like him or her because I just don't have the time or they have chefs or they have nutritionists that pay them. 
And so I did, you know, throw my hands up in the air. It's not going to work, work for me. What has been some of your biggest strategies you've told some of your clients who have kind of thrown those challenges at you? Like, I don't have time. I can meet my kids, this, whatever. How do you help them get through that? Usually, I mean, it's true. First of all, they might have all those things, but even our team, we do get to work out for our job, but it's not the workouts you might do normally. You know, I'm having to do the things that the clients need and the members need and our actual just uh, platform needs. So one day I might do three bar classes. One day I might do cardio only for hit. It's not actually going to be great for my long-term fitness. It's just mm-hmm. a lot of movement. So also I have to do it when they want me to. That's so if true. I'm tired yeah. at 6 a.m., sorry, like it's live. Mm-hmm. We do live classes. If I don't want to move my legs today and I have three leg days, that's what I'm doing. So there is like a, you're lucky, but you're kind of not. And it's performance. Like there's anxiety that goes mm. with it. You're talking the whole time. Like sometimes I wake up and I'm like, oh, like, what did I say yesterday? Like, did I say anything weird? Or I'm like constantly Googling sayings. I'm like, where did that come from? Like, when did I learn that? Is that going to be something funny? So there's like a lot that goes into that. But I think for, for just normal people, I try to just get them to extend their timeline mentally. Because the reason they're throwing their hands up is because they think that there's an end that they have to reach quickly. And you don't have to work out five days a week. That would be great. You know, you'll get there quicker. But if you can work out one to start and make that work into your life, that's going to make you move better and feel better and be healthier. And then the second one, um, slow and steady. I used to do this with clients a lot, but we would go on four week kind of resets. And if they had a big goal, And they came to me and were like, hey, I want to lose this amount of weight. I want to maybe run this marathon. So I'm going to start waking up at 6 a.m. every day, going to these three boot camps and these two. And I would always kind of roll back and be like, what time do you wake up now? Like eight. I'm like, how about you try to wake up at 6 a.m. and not do anything? Just see if you can even wake up at 6 Mm a.m. Because that's going to be a big difference for your whole day. You're going to need to go to bed earlier. You're going to be eating on a different schedule. (laughs) Like, it's a complete difference. If you are trying to do that many changes at once, you're not going to know what the thing was that broke you down or threw you off. So start with one small thing. And no one wants to do that. Like, they're like, no, 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 I want to be fit tomorrow, so I'm going to do it this way. Yeah. And then they give up because it's all or nothing. So I usually try to get people to, like, really break it down and just look at how irrational they're being. And I mean that's so nice because I do the same thing. I'm like, yeah. I'm going to run a marathon, and then I'm going to go do this, and I'll do it all in three weeks, and it'll be fine. But if you can really break it down, it makes more sense. You're like, okay, I don't wake up at 6 a.m., then what? Maybe I start with 30-minute workouts instead of 60-minute boot camp that I have to drive to. Maybe I get a tempo and I do it at my house instead. Because even if you want to get out of your house, having it there is really convenient. Um, Maybe I block out this time every day and even if I can't work out, I go on a walk. I just don't let myself back in the house for that amount of time. I start my coworkers on every 30 minutes, stand up for three minutes, right? There's all this research that lowers your blood pressure. It makes you better in meetings, more focused. Every 30 minutes, just get up for three minutes, move around a little. That feels like a lot when you start doing it, and it's so little time, you know? Like, it's it's really like a snack size of movement, but it feels overwhelming. So I just try to get people to roll it back a little bit and then realize, like, why? Why six weeks? Yeah. That's something that's sold to you. Six weeks is ridiculous. 
people want the was it six pack abs in 90 days oh if i give you 90 days remember that i think it was p90x Mm -hmm. like 90 days or whatever you're going to be in the best shape of your life and i'm sure there were plenty examples of people that did the program like you were supposed to they were on top of their diet at the same time and i'm sure they look great after 90 days and then what exactly do you keep it up is this is this sustainable uh these diet trends, there's another one. Everybody's like, okay, it's got to be carnivore diet. If I'm carnivore diet, I get no carbs. If I get no carbs, I burn them in the gym. I'm on ketosis, and then I'm just burning fat all day. And it's like maybe in the laboratory at some point, that's what you think happens, but then you completely misinterpret your body's metabolism. You completely misinterpret how lethargic you might be in the gym if you just eat meat. Now, there are people yeah. out there that dietary functions they just function better with only eating meat only and more power to them cool. but for the masses it's like trying to go to these extreme diets to achieve an aesthetic goal you're going to be able to do this for 20 years 30 years you may be able to do it for five six months but long term like no. how is that you know what's been your your experience with people that come in with you know the really extreme diets and whatnot i th- i think diets become obsessions for people and like the long and short of it is all diets work. If you're consuming less calories and it it works for you, you're probably going to lose weight. But if you're looking for more performance goals, you have to have enough carbs. You have to have enough fat. If you're a woman, you really need fat. So I try not to give a ton of nutrition advice because people, it's just so, um, people get so upset. They, they want you to read their article. They want to, they just want to believe that if they do this one thing, it's going to change everything for them. Right. Um, and everyone's different. Like I have an autoimmune, a lot of foods I can't eat. Uh, I try to focus on protein mostly, but I do really bad on low carb. Like I become a monster. I want to rip everyone's face off. My performance is terrible. And I think training for a marathon, as much as I dislike running and it's not for me, not made for it learning that I had to eat constantly during a run just made it make so much more sense. I'm like, okay, if I want to run faster and recover, I have to constantly be consuming carbs. Mm -hmm. You're eating straight sugar because your body's just burning it constantly. If you take too long, you can't recover. And then I'd see all these people coming in, like running to lose weight. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're never going to run faster or better. You're going to get hurt. Your sleep's going to be affected. If I didn't have enough carbs while I ran, I'd get restless legs all night. Like <laughs> your body just reacts badly. And I'm like, oh, so many people are like run for run to lose weight, but it's gonna kind of come back and get you. You're going to get hungrier later. You're going to be kind of bitchy to everyone. Like call it what it is. Yeah. I don't, it just doesn't work that way, but we have been sold all this stuff. It's like do less, eat less, be smaller. And that, that will work out for you, but it doesn't. I'm glad you brought up one thing. If you're comfortable speaking yeah, about the autoimmune thing, mm-hmm. this is something that I've heard now as a, as a guy, I just, you know, there's certain things that I don't see, but I see that a lot with a lot of women in their thirties, that these things come up, thyroid diseases, yep. uh, hormone imbalances, things that I don't understand. And it's kind of like a taboo topic. Nobody likes to talk about it, but it, it could be a reason why maybe a woman in her, in her thirties isn't at the level she thinks she should be at, or she doesn't look like she did when she was 21. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody comes and says, this is this is me when I was 21. How do I get this body again? I'm doing everything the same, and then my body's not responding, and then it just leads down this dark path of you know trying to fix it with things they probably shouldn't use to fix it. Yep. What's been your experience with that, especially with, with clients? Is this something that people even want to talk about? Yeah, and they want you to, to listen, and they want help. I think... Autoimmunes are interesting because they've been around. They're definitely around more and we don't exactly know why. They seem to be 
you know, genetic in some ways. Like there's a bunch in my family. Um, but it does seem to hit women a lot, especially after childbirth or big stressful events. Um, my sister, she won't mind, but she was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is a thyroid disorder after she moved to New York and she loved it there, but her doctor's like big stressful events can trigger this. It can be, you could get in a car accident and just that like overwhelming stress, your body fights back in a weird way. And then you have this new thing, this new body, this new pain that's kind of invisible. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of autoimmune pain is arthritic or you feel really just inflamed and your joints hurt. That sucks when you're going to work out. Then you have doctors that maybe don't know a ton about these conditions, because how could they? Like, they can't know everything. Mm-hmm. If you have, like, Kaiser and you're just kind of in the, you know, cattle call of going in, they're not going to give you a ton of help. You have to kind of pay for extra doctors and really advocate for yourself. And that's something I think a lot of women are not good at. We're like, no, it's fine. It's just constant pain, but yeah. it's fine. They don't want to bother everybody and. Right. And those tests are hard. They're expensive. You have to test against yourself, not against a regular number. It's really, it's a lot. And I think the more people do talk about it, the better. Like, I don't, I'm not really someone that likes to like preach my pain. Like I don't love to talk about it, but I've realized the longer I'm in this industry, it really does help people. And it's not me just like kind of showboating or being like, look what I can do. It's people like realizing they can do this too. Um, which I've always, I I'd never liked it. I don't want to be like the savior complex or like, look at me, I do this. But I have realized in the last couple of years, like people hearing, like, yeah, I do have an autoimmune. And some days it is really painful to work out or inflammation really stinks and certain foods will trigger me out of nowhere. Like something I've had a million times, I'll come home and just be like in, in pretty terrible pain. So being able to navigate that and be in the fitness industry and like kind of go through all of it is a lot. So I, I try to share, try to give people tips. Finding the right doctor is huge. Um, I started going to this place actually in San Francisco called TIA and it's a medical group that's only for women gotcha. and it's been yeah. life changing. They, they're listening. They know what you're looking for. They're testing for things that other doctors just don't test for. They really like dig in to everything. And it's, I know San Francisco, we're so lucky, but it feels crazy to go in and have someone just like really listen and not say like, Oh, just lose 10 pounds. Like doctors do. I mean, when my sister first got her Hashimoto's, she called me constantly. It's like, I'm going to soul cycle every day. I am only eating this crazy smoothie diet and I'm putting on weight. And I was like, that's impossible. Like it doesn't work that way. You can't be putting on weight. They're like the starvation thing is not really real. Like you'd be losing weight. She's like, I'm not, and I'm in pain and I'm putting on more and more weight. I was like, this can't be right. And then after six months of begging, she finally got the right tests and like found out she had Hashimoto's, which just makes your metabolism dump. You're burning nothing. Yeah. So, but she had to go through all the, like, just lose 10 pounds. It's your fault for not losing 10 pounds. Like your health is in your hands. And she physically couldn't lose the 10 pounds. So yeah, you just see a lot of that where I, I'm not a doctor. I didn't go to medical school. Yeah. I, I don't want to say anything negative, but they just have too much on their plate. And I think a lot of people fall through the cracks. No, I mean, they, they, you know, doctors spend how many years going to med school? Then you got all these years going through your, what's it called? The residency program. And Mm -hmm. then you got to find a place to work. And then you got, if you want to be a general practitioner for families, you don't, you know, the basics of Mm -hmm. all these things. You don't know what you don't know. So you have to be able to say, I have to refer my client to a specialist. You may not even know about like. Uh, you got to see a nutritionist. I don't know anybody. So, you know, just 
go and do whatever they, they, they say. And we trust doctors so much because they're wearing that lab, lab coat. It's yeah. like, whatever you say, it's going to be gold. And the reality is, if you're, they're being honest, they're like, I know the basics, but I am not a specialist. So there's a lot that I don't know. I have to continue to do my research on my own. But I think it's great that you actually talk about that. There's always going to be haters out there. They're going to find a way to say, oh, she's she's, um, she's egotistical or she's just trying to make herself look better. Right. There's always going to be haters out there and you filter out the noise. But the silent majority of people are like, I'm glad she said that because yeah. she's speaking for somebody. She's speaking maybe for me as, a, as an audience member that finally someone else out there has what I'm going through. She might understand me or there's other women out there who are doing the same thing. So it's great to talk about that because it's so relatively new that mm-hmm. we're experiencing this. I mean, I never asked my mom or my grandmother this. I never had a reason to, but I would think that this wasn't something they just saw back in the day. Like your own personal experience, do you think it's stuff that we're eating? Do you think there's a lot more women out in, in our generation, other millennials that are trying to take on too much, this big expensive career, 60 hours, plus they want to be mothers, plus they want to do all this. And it's just so much for one person to try and balance that it's affecting your mental and physical health in ways you can't even see. Yeah, I think it is all that. I mean, mine showed up when I was 14. So I can't really, I don't really have the hustle millennial argument, but I have a bunch of cousins that had variations of it, Um, like really bad arthritis really early, really young. Um, And a lot have cleared up. A lot seem to be triggered by stress and nutrition, but it is weird that these foods that we've had are suddenly like becoming something that you're kind of allergic to sometimes and then other times you're not so it is I don't know I don't know if it's just a buildup of kind of bad things we've done over years and years and you know that's kind of changed our chemistry but it is it's something you can manage if you pay attention but I think it's overwhelming if you are busy like having that next thing where you're also tired and in pain yeah and other people are like just just hustle harder no pain no gain like just work harder and you're like wait I really can't work harder than I am so yeah there, I think there's shame and guilt that comes with any chronic kind of illness or pain where mm-hmm. people can't see it it's tough you don't yeah you don't want to be the victim but you're like this this sucks and I'm going through it yeah, yeah, I know. It's just, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, I, there's, there's a couple of women in my life that have, that are going through similar things, different for the one who has P, PCOS, oh, PSOS. Yeah. I forgot what that Horrible. acronym is yeah. and don't know how they, they got it. Like they're like 10 years ago, I was fine in great shape, whatever. All of a sudden it just popped up. And, mm-hmm. and then, and the danger that I see is if you rely, like we were talking about too much on the doctors, it's not their fault necessarily, but there is an incentive to say, take this pill. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't work. Take this pill, take more of that. And it's this guessing game of trying to give you the right do- a dosage. I mean, my dad died in 2010. And if you saw his picture, like, the few days before he died, compared to in 10 years earlier, you can just see, like, what the medicine he was doing was doing to him. Yeah. He was on so many pills. And remember, we had to go throw them away and donate them. We're like, I don't know what this is and this is. There's, like, three pill bottles here. And he would just take one of each every day just because the doctor said, oh, just take one of these. Not knowing how when you put them all together, how are they going to react in the body? Yep. They're all trying to fix a specific symptom. But then when you put them all together, what are they doing? Like, I don't know. They just We just gave them the pill and call it a day. Yeah, I it's, think that's the it, though. They're treating the symptom. And again, I don't think this is doctor's fault at all. It's like a lot of it's insurance. They can only give you certain things or they're told they should push one thing before the other. We have a joke that like Kaiser loves to give people Zoloft for everything. Like you got a headache? Zoloft. Like (laughs) you got cramps? How about more Zoloft? It's like, okay, well, I can't feel anything now, but still have cramps. Um, But it's it's what they're told too. It's like you can only do this. And if they want to go to a specialist, they have to have X, Y, Z happen first. Um, 
it's just hard to navigate for everyone and they're trying to fix everything. Like my GP was wonderful, but she was even like, I'm going to use Dr. Google right now. Like we have our (laughs) own Google. I'm putting in your symptoms and we're going to see what pops out and anything else is going to be messy and need specialists. And then you have to go through, jump through all these hoops to just like feel normal. So it's not their fault. It's like our system is just super messed up. But then on the other side, I think fitness is so unregulated and it's not medical at all, but people are looking to it as medical advice. So I would have clients come in all the time asking me things they should ask a doctor or a physical therapist. And they're like, but I trust you. And I know you're not going to lie to me. And I'm like, but I'm not a medical professional. Like I can't give you that advice. I'm not a nutritionist. I can give you tips, but I can't be your doctor and you just see people lost. They're like, please, please I, I think you hit a big point there. And it's not just with fitness. It's everything. Politicians, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your teachers, your bosses, whatever. When someone puts their trust in you, however it got there, maybe you, you help them accomplish one goal. So now everything that you do, they did, they trust in you. They, they believe in you. It's an incredible power to have when mm-hmm. people just put their trust in you. Sometimes you're like, Hey, I, you know, thank you for that. But you know, I, there's certain things that I don't know. And I need you to go see a specialist. But they're like, no, you're the one that I trust you. So just tell me something and I'll, and I'll do it. Yep. And they want you to sort of solve all their problems. It's nobody's fault. It's just sort of how the world works with just human nature. When yeah. you trust somebody, you're just, they tell me how to fix everything. A lot of people who believe in faith, they're like, I just trust what that is. I trust that what this book tells me, it's just going to be, be good. And Maybe it can help a lot of people. Maybe it's not for everybody. And it's just, it's one of those things that I know in your industry, when people put all that faith in you, that they, they expect a certain, you know, empathy or result. And it can yeah. be difficult to have that pressure on you, I'm sure. Oh, it's constant. People really feel like they know you too. And I try to be like really kind and, and understanding, but sometimes I'm like, you're a stranger and you just told me so much about your life. And now I don't know what to do exactly with this information, but I was talking to a friend about this recently. It's the whole influencer thing. Um, It's just because you trust the person. So it's like, okay, maybe I see my body in your body. So I like the fashion that you're trying on because I know it'll look kind of like that on me. Or I know you're about my age and you work out this way and I want to also reach that goal. So I'm going to follow you. But it does seem that the more polarizing a person is, the more uh, kind of cult-like their following gets because it's like, oh, they've got the secret. And I'm going to get the secret too. And that kind of goes into religion too, which we don't need to do. But it's like the liver king guy. I talked about him a little bit. And I hate talking about this kind of stuff because I also don't want to push anyone away that just might be looking for answers. They might be in pain. They might have an autoimmune. They might have weight that they can't get off. And they're just looking for someone to help them. So I never want to say like, you've done the wrong thing by following someone. But I do try to tell people If someone has no nuance in their conversation, if everything they're saying is one-sided, if it's constantly coming back to like liver and there's nothing else, then they're not doing anything but selling you something. Scientists have nuance. You read research papers and the whole thing is like, yeah, this worked really well for these people, was really bad for these people. But a lot of these like polarizing figures will only take the parts. Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, no, it was really good for most people. It's like, but what about the five that it was terrible for? Like, they exist, too. Mm -hmm. And you have to bring them into the conversation. But people don't. They're like, 
I researched this. I'm like, no, you Googled it. Research is very different and it's hard and you, not fun. You can make numbers look like whatever you want. Like, have you heard of Andrew Huberman? Yeah, of oh, course. You love Huberman, right? Yeah. Well, hopefully one day, shout out to Andrew Huberman, he might come on the show. I'm hoping. Cross my fingers I Do can it. get him on here. One thing he did say in one of his podcasts was about the incentive that these you know researchers have to make things look a certain way. If you're a researcher at Stanford or Harvard, whatever, in order for you to have money to do a specific amount of research there's going to be people saying hey i can give you give you this but you know kind of make the give me what i want sort of a thing and you're in this weird situation where you need the money to do the research but if you are 100 percent honest with everything then whoever donated to you is might going to be like ah well there goes your funding because you just made me look bad or you gave me the wrong research so they, they play this weird game and it's nobody's fault it's just sort of the way the system works yeah you know what do you do you need money for the research but if you are completely honest it may not give somebody what they want i think it was the atkins diet too same thing tough yeah a lot of the di- i mean i hate saying big food but i do tell people like who paid for that like just check it out like if it's really going against fat was it like sugar that's paying for it? It's really bad about sugar. Was it like you can always kind of trace it back to someone that wanted the research to go their way. Um, and there's just bad, bad like research papers and they're redacted, but then no one kind of updates their knowledge. The news is really bad about this too. They'll take something, a clickbaity headline, and it'll be something that we know is not true anymore but it just gets circulated for so long. There's so much in nutrition and fitness that when you actually look back, it's like, oh, we found out that wasn't true almost immediately. Like that paper was redacted. That person's not a scientist anymore, but that information just goes on and on forever. And you're like, oh, how, do we, how do we fix this? What do you do about it? Like, have you, I forgot what it's called, but what's that thing that Kim Kardashian's doing that uh, diabetes drug oh, that people Ozempic. are taking? Is that yeah. What, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the latest thing now. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's really good, if it's really bad. I just know it's new stuff and yeah. it's like the latest magic pill. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on it from what you've seen? I have a lot of thoughts on it. Um, and I think people don't love my thoughts on it, but I actually think it is a great thing. Um, the, the kind of doctors and scientists I've followed on it, it's not magic in the way like you take this apple cider vinegar pill and you're magically thinner, but it is doing the thing we've begged people to do, right? The, our world is like super fat phobic in general. Even doctors are fat phobic. So before they'll help you with anything, it's like you've got to lose this weight. And people really don't know how. Their lifestyle maybe doesn't allow it. They don't know how to curb their eating. Maybe stress has made them do this. Like there's just so much going on. And for a lot of people, this is giving them the structure that allows them to lose the weight to start working out, to start feeling better, to get to that next step that they wouldn't have got to before. So I think if we're in a society where we're consistently telling people, you being overweight is the problem. Your weight is what's making you worth less. It's what's making you less healthy. And then we have a drug that is helping them really in a safe way, lose weight. Hmm. Why are we villainizing it? I feel like it comes down to this, like I had to work harder, so you have to work hard too. If I worked out to lose it, then it's not fair that you didn't. But then we're also telling them, stop being fat. It's like, yeah. I don't know if you remember Christmas time, there was this Nike ad and it was a lady super fit doing a handstand, which I don't know if everyone knows is very hard to do. Um, but she was bigger than our average model. And the comment section was just like, how could this be a Nike ad? She's disgusting. Lose some weight. I'm like, she's showing a huge feat of strength here, obviously on a fitness journey. 
doing strength training and people are still hating that this woman is being portrayed as fit, like disgusting, unhealthy. It's like, we're so scared of fat and we really villainize these people. But then when they try to do something better, we're like, you can't do that either. It's not fair. Celebrities, different story, right? right? I don't think you need to be thin and then do this drug to get thinner, but they are finding like specifically and Ozempic was made for diabetes, but like all drugs, we find out they're good at other things. Right. Like, um, I bring up Viagra a lot, but that was for your heart. It was for blood pressure. Not using it for that anymore. <laughs> um, but now there's all of these other kind of offshoots and they're figuring out formulations, but they're finding it's really helpful for people with any addictions. It makes you not want to drink alcohol because you're not craving those like sugary, carby things. It just kind of turns that down. It's also helping people to stop smoking. Um, lots of addictive behaviors, online shopping, impulses in general. It's just kind of turning down that like need for something to change your mood or to make your body feel different. So that's really powerful and they're going to make it into other things. I mean, I have ADHD, so I do take stimulant medication a few days a week if I have like a really busy day and they get villainized all the time. It's like, you're on meth. I'm like, well, you haven't seen my brain. When I take my stimulants, I can nap. I go to bed on time. I'm super calm. If I don't take it, I'm kind of a basket case. So it, it doesn't do for me what it does for people that don't have ADHD, but that's all they know. So wow. they're like, if I take it, I'm I'm like, I'm crazy. You know, like I can't calm down. Like when I take it, I'm so calm. I'm like having the chillest day ever. I don't have all like the competing thoughts. My time management's so much better, but they find now that those meds are really good at helping people with binge eating disorder because it calms down all of that need for like constant dopamine and getting it from different places. They really help people with smoking again. So all these repetitive behaviors that are stress induced that become addictions because you know, chemicals, Mm -hmm. other things, these can just help get you over that hill. So, I mean, after the diabetes thing got cleared up, the medicine's not, there's no reason to not make more. They can make more. The reason people weren't getting it that had diabetes is because our medical system's crap. But it's that's not what's happening anymore. And it's like, let people lose weight if they can. Mm. You can't get it unless you're overweight, unless you're a celebrity. We're not talking about that. Right. <laughs> but do you, yeah. do you think it's, uh, what do you want to call it, a, a good thing that it's achieving all this or that it potentially has the sort of get out of jail free card effect where people just say, oh, okay, I just take that and then it's going to automatically fix everything? Or do you still tell people, Hey, this could help you like that weight loss drug, Ollie, that guy mm-hmm. was like the only FDA approved one, but you still have to put in the work. You yeah. still gotta get in the gym. You still gotta lift weights. If you want to achieve a certain physique, you still have to go out there and do work. You can't just take it, sit on the couch and not eat. You're just going to waste away. No. And there, there are downsides to it. So you have to make sure you're getting the right nutrition. If you're eating less or want to consume less, you could possibly become nutrition deficient in certain things. If your eating habits were really bad, that's not going to change. But what it does seem to be helping is like people that went to junk food for like that feeling, you know, like I, I need the salt, the sugar to get myself through the next couple hours or to get through this stressful or boring moment. Um, it does seem to be kind of chilling that out, but the people that I know that are using it and also working out, I've just been trying to help them like really focus on your protein. Make sure you're getting a ton of greens the times that you're hungry. By the end of the week, because it's something you have to shoot, also you have to give yourself a shot. 
So I don't think yeah. it's an easy road for anyone. But like the end of the week, they start getting their normal eating habits back and get more hungry. So it's just making sure you're getting the right nutrients throughout the week. And you are going to lose weight, but you'll lose muscle as well. So you have to keep resistance training or you're going to end up with like saggy stuff, especially <laughs> if you had a lot of weight on you. You want to build that muscle as well. First, for women, especially skeletal muscle, we need it. But if you want to look better, it's not just getting thinner for most of us. It's you also want to have like a shape to your shoulders and you want to have like maybe a bigger butt or you want that healthy looking figure uh, and you're going to have to do both. So I'm seeing both sides where I'm getting a lot of like, I'm getting pancake butt. How can you help me? I'm like, well, you're going to have to, you know, figure this out. I think a lot of people probably will be on it forever, especially if their weight is something that's more of a chronic condition where they, they're just going to be battling it for a long time. But I think for some that maybe just had this extra, maybe after a baby or, you know, maybe they have Hashimoto's and they just physically need their body to consume less for a while. They don't have to be on it forever. Um, and I think we'll find out a lot more soon, but I do think it's kind of, it's just tough. Cause it's like, we yeah. want people to get better, but we also want them to do it on our terms and the way that we think is correct. And everyone has different thoughts, but it does seem a lot of doctors that work with people that really need to lose weight are really behind it. Like they're like, this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And it sucks that celebrities kind of take things and make them I terrible. I mean, it's fitness a, too. Go the crazy. worst. I know. Yeah. I mean, with this whole um, Ozempic thing, it's, you know, you're opt. I mean, I'm optimistic about it for the future of everybody. I'm also cautiously optimistic that is this going to get abused or are they going to find out 10 years down the line? Hey, um, we just realized that it's been having the side effect on people and we didn't think about it or maybe we knew it back mm -hmm. in the day, but no financial interest to tell everybody, hey, uh, we'll just keep this under wraps and maybe it'll go away. That's my only thing because I sort of it's it seems to be working great now, but I always hear about that magic pill thing like. Everybody's like, is this the wonder drug that's going to save me and give yeah. me the body of my dreams? And we always tell in the fitness industry, you always tell clients there is no magic pill. There is no one thing that you can do that's no. going to fix everything with no effort whatsoever. Throughout our whole history as human beings, it's we have to put in the work. We're designed to go out and run and hunt and forage and cook and build and all this other stuff. And modern technology can be great, but it's like, you know, you know, is this going to be like that? what's it called that Trojan horse thing where it yeah. just it looks great now until 10 years down the line but if it's working for people now then hey that's if they're getting what they want that the body of their dreams and they feel better then ultimately that's the goal at the end of the day right yeah getting people to be in a better spot in their life yeah and it might just be the like I think for a lot of people weight loss or putting on muscle or working out feels like something they can't even get started it feels so far away that they're like, I'm, I'm not even going to try because that's, it's just so far from me. So if it gets them to just feel more confident and like walking into a gym, which is hard for a lot of people yeah. or like buying the tempo or going to get a new set of workout clothes, if it lets them feel like they can do that, like the next steps are going to be powerful for them. It's going to be up to the person, I think, yeah. uh, what they needed out of it, what it's really helping them with. But you do have to be like your doctor's not just going to give it to you unless you're extremely rich and a celebrity. You have to like be a certain weight and you have to check in constantly and do your blood pressure. Like there's a lot to it. Also, I'm not stabbing myself. Oh, yeah. No, thank you. Like I have an EpiPen for when I get stung by a bee and I'm like, nope, someone else is going to have to do it. I'm not going to do it. So, oh, man. you know, it's a lot. 
That is crazy. Yeah. So for most of your clients, I'm guessing they're career people or at the very least they have kids or they have something that's, you know, taking a lot of their time in the day. Yeah. Uh, what's some of the feedback that you've gotten from them? Generally speaking, I've named name names, but the feedback that you've gotten about the difficulties that are holding them back from achieving what they want, even if they fully believe in what you're telling them that what they need to do. I think it's the ever changing schedule. It's like we all want routine. We thrive on routine. You want to wake up every day. And when things stop them from doing that routine, it feels like, then why am I even trying? Like, is it just the throw up your hands in the air? Like, well, if I can't do my 6 a.m. workout that makes me feel good, then I'm not doing anything at all. And I think it's just trying to balance that expectation and letting yourself be disappointed. Like, mm-hmm. I think we, we want everything to be like toxic positivity all the time. Like, not every workout's going to feel great. Yeah. Sometimes you stop early. Like, sometimes you get there and it changes your mood. Sometimes I put on my headphones and I go, absolutely not and walk right back out so it's like how can you balance that for yourself where can you if you know you're in a season where you have three kids at home and I mean the pandemic people suddenly have we're homeschooling yeah like how you've got to give yourself some grace and if your fitness is really really important to you might have to get up super early or you might have to work out late at night or you know add in some other exercise some other way walk on your treadmill while you're working but you've got to be willing to just completely change course. Like mm-hmm. I got hurt while I was training for a marathon. I couldn't do it anymore. It's like I told people I was doing it and then doing a triathlon. And then I had a fractured foot and then it messed up my hip because I was in a boot for so long. And it's like, okay, yeah. now I have to start over and it sucks. And it's kind of embarrassing because people were like, you're doing a triathlon. I'm like, well, now I'm not. And yeah. it's okay. But I think we just have to be like open to changing things more, like be more flexible. Yeah, that makes sense. And in today's day and age, especially around here, everybody's so busy with everything. You have both parents of kids who are both working 40 hours a week and then trying to balance that with raising said kids and then spending time with each other and then all these other, and then trying to go to the gym and then eat healthy and then commuting. It's, it's, it's crazy for a lot of people. So I definitely, you know, I definitely feel for the, for the parents out there that that are trying to do everything. I don't have, have any kids and just to see how my friends who have, kids are trying to make it happen you know it's like hats off to them because i can just see look it's not easy you know losing sleep you know figuring out what what the what the uh, kid wants and then trying to find a way to get to the gym it's just it's it's nuts yeah uh so so going back to to tempo a little bit i kind of want to know when you train people you know we, we talked a lot about training women do you train a lot of men and what's the differences in how you speak to them and what they want and how they communicate things that you know maybe you don't see with a lot of your female clients Mm, that's so interesting. I think I speak to everyone pretty much the same. Um, but I do try to tailor whatever I'm saying to like your goals, your needs. I started getting a lot more male clientele by the end. And I have a lot on tempo, like a lot, a lot. And I think it's because I do weightlifting in a non-douchey way. Like I like to lift really heavy weights, but I'm not like super bro about it. Like I have fun with it. I give lots of like tons of cues and tons of modifications. Like I don't believe there's one perfect way to do everything. Of course you don't want to deadlift and like, you know, be doing the worm the whole time, but every body looks sort of different. And I just believe you have to find out your body. So I think I just give people a lot of time to really think about their body and themselves and try to cue in ways that make them feel like they can coach themselves. So tons of science information, then we'll have some fun with it. And then I try to use like multiple body cues. Like maybe that doesn't work for you or 
what I said didn't make sense, but if I keep saying a bunch of different ways to cue it, one's going to work for you. So I try to just like constantly give people a ton of different ways to make the workout work for them. If this grip doesn't work, try this one. Mm. It's not going to take you off your progress that much. Try to keep it even, but like if you need to have a little bit more pelvic tilt when you're doing your squats, do it. Like that's probably how your body works. Right. We have different femur lengths. So I just try to give people that like, you don't look like me. I don't look like you. I squat really low. I like joke that I'm half frog. Like my butt <laughs> is almost touching my heels. That is not for everyone. Of course you want to be mobile, but if you're someone with crazy long femurs, you're going to have more of a forward lean. You're going to do more of like a deadlift squat because you're balancing your torso and your leg. I don't know what that feels like. So I'm not going to coach you to like keep getting your torso up if you fall backwards because your body's different. So, so when you say science, are you telling them like mechanical science? Mm-hmm. Like, is there this tonal have this tempo have a way of measuring like, okay, this is your first time on here. Let's see your arm. Let's see your, is it doing that for people? Yeah. So we do some like basic assessments. We're adding a ton right now, which is cool. It's something I've been passionate about, but doing more like body scanning and giving you really detailed, this is how your body works and this is kind of how we see your next steps, but also giving people the input. How did that feel? Like yesterday you did a lot of cardio. Do you think leg day is a great idea today? So kind of guiding them Mm. that way. Make your decision. Like it's up to you. But if we see this in your health kit data, then we'd like, you know, this to look different. But we do a lot of range of motion. We mostly go off of that in pace. So if I say I want you to do 12 reps and I want like a five second pace, I want it to be slow. I want it to like be painful, but I'm telling you why I'm doing that. And you blast through it and do like 20, it's going to tell you to add more weight gotcha. because you're not following, you know, what I told you to do. So you're not going to get the result that you came here for. So we really try to tailor, like, are you doing this for just strength? Are you just trying to add more weight to the bar? Then we're doing low reps, right? We're going to go really heavy. So if you do 20 reps, why are you in this class? So we try to constantly just say like, this is what you're here for. If you don't want to do that, go take the hit class. So I'm constantly trying to tell people like what strength really means, you know, what hypertrophy really means, why we do the reps and sets we do, but also knowing your body. Like I respond really well to working weight and kind of the medium high rep range. Mm -hmm. My body does not like really heavy lifting when I'm sitting like under six reps, I'm achy, my bones are hurting. I'm like, <laughs> just not feeling good. I just do well with the more athletic, like more volume, but I also don't love super, super high reps. I don't like that like 20 rep zone. So I do lots of variable intensity. So I'm hitting my lifts every day, but one day I'm going really heavy, one day working, one day more endurance. So I'm making sure my body is just more athletic. That makes sense. So how do people actually interact with you? Is mm. it a live class or is it a recorded? Okay. You play it when you want to. How's Both. this work? Both, both. So we do live, which is really fun. It's a totally different experience. Like feels more like a group fitness class. We've got all your names up there. I can see your heart rate, how fast you're lifting. I get all that info. Um, and then any, like any form feedback you're getting from the tempo, like it'll tell you if your shoulders are out of line, like the barbell's tilted, if you're leaning too far back, if you're not squatting deep enough. So I'll see all of that as well. And instead of just calling out one person and being like, James, sit up. I can give like really general cues to everyone that helps it feel way more interactive. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I'm like, Oh, everyone did really well. Well, let's get a little lower next time. Let's go a little slower. Like feel like you can do that and we can call out people individually, but I try to always you know, give it to the group. So we do that. And then we do programs that are like pretty detailed. I have a lot that are more hypertrophy based. I have some really athletic. I have like an off season 
kind of for athletes or it's very core and mobility and balance focused. So you can do that where you show up every day and it still feels live. There's a leaderboard in every class. You can turn it off. But if you do it, it shows you everyone else at that exact moment. So it does feel like you're in a class with a bunch of people. Mm. So even if they took it two months ago, you get to see like, oh, at minute 17, their volume was really similar to mine or their reps. And you can kind of go off that and off yourself. So how's the turnover if you're if you're allowed to speak mm-hmm. about that is it where you guys want it to be is it higher than the normal uh like how, what's keeping people in are they finding that the routine is keeping them in or is the price kicking them out how's that working so i'm, I'm biased because i love my company yeah. but i think we tried to we try to really be like customer um obsessed like we listen to them so the flagship product is this beautiful big studio. It kind of looks like an easel with a giant touch screen and it was expensive and we wanted it to be something everyone could have. So during the pandemic, it did really well because everyone was just scrambling. Like we want to work out, we'll pay anything. But we realized really quickly, like most people can't spend $3,000 on this thing in their home. So they created the move, which is our smaller version. It uses your phone instead of the camera that's on the studio. It mirrors to your tv you can do it anywhere and it's like a quarter of the price still get the weights still get all the cool tech but we were able to like hack the facial recognition camera that like reads your face and have it do it for your body so really similar tech of course the most expensive one is going to be like a tiny bit better but pretty hard to tell and if you're really there just to work out and you're not like flipping out over you know quality on your tv or something it's comparable so we really opened it up to more people which i think was the biggest problem people are just like it's just too expensive i just can't do it so now you have this thing that you spent a way less on so maybe you get the accessories now and you get the barbell and the heavyweight plates and you can make your home like more of a full gym and really get the benefits from the whole whole thing and you can travel with it which is mm, really cool yeah. i take it to hotels all the time wow. um yeah on vacation i don't want to do my own workout i'm like someone yell at me like it's fine i just want to get through it <laughs> So really good for that. Um, and we did, we worked really hard to make sure our coaching staff was different. Everyone has their vibe. Like people fall in love with one of us, two of us. They might go through seasons. We're like, okay, right now I need that big energy guy. And he makes jokes the whole time. And I just get to zone out. And some people are like, I want to just learn about why I'm lifting. I'll take Melissa for a while. So we found that people connect with us and who we are and our stories. And that's kind of kept them coming back because it always feels like they're hanging out with their friend they're getting this new thing and we try to talk to them facebook instagram like i ask people every week like what are you looking for and i'll put it in my live class i'm always calling people out and like you know trying to make it feel as interactive as possible it's weird because it's virtual but we try really hard to get out there and meet people well you guys seem like you're hitting what we talked about earlier that whole trust factor when people find a way to trust you, and it's so hard for a lot of people that I have a great product, you should just automatically believe mm-hmm. me. Like, no, there's a lot more you have to do to get people to build and earn your trust. So when you talk about your personal story and the autoimmune disease and where you came from and the things that, you know, my life is not perfect. You know, these are the things that I deal with in my daily life, just like, you know, like you might be dealing with the whatnot, but here's how I overcome it. Once you build that, you know, it makes life so much easier for you because you have people who buy in. They're going to spend time investing in you. They're Mm going to spend time to do the workouts because they believe in you as opposed to if you just go to a cookie cutter gym, 
you're with trainer A today, then you're with trainer B tomorrow, and they're doing different things, yeah. and you're like, okay, it doesn't really, for people, it doesn't feel right. right. And then they can't explain it. they just like, it doesn't feel right. And then that's where they leave, and they go somewhere else to where they can find that connection. They can find uh, that person that just they feel understands them, even if you can't quantify why. That's what's really keeping people there. So I'm glad to hear that you guys have started to figure that that formula out and you're seeing a lot of the results from it. Yeah. That's awesome. I think it's funny too because I think I said earlier, I really was against the virtual and I was kind of not that nice about it when we first have meetings. I'm like, I just don't trust that this isn't snake oil yet. And I'm so against selling something that I don't believe in, that I don't gives people success. Uh, that I just am not there. And then when we started building it and we were just focused on strength, we're not trying to get people to lose weight. There's no, you're going to burn 5,000 calories, best workout in the world. We were really trying to tailor each class to the goal. It's like, mm. if you're doing heart rate training, let's do heart rate training. If you're doing hit, I need you to actually do hit. It's not just cardio, right? We need it all the way up, all the way down. Um, and teaching people about the zones and how they get there and why it's not important for weight training. Like, your heart rate should not be that much of an issue here. If it is, then you need to rest more. Like maybe you're going too fast, but your strength workout shouldn't be a calorie burn workout. That's not what we're doing this for. So we're really, we're not selling people sometimes exactly what they're wanting. We're not telling them you're burning this million of calories or giving them like the truth. And I didn't believe they would keep doing it. I was like, no, we're going to start selling right one day soon. This is going to become just like everything else, six weeks to this, two weeks to this. But we do the program so people can reach goals. Um, we are really strength and science-based in everything. We try to continue to get better. And my coaching team is stubborn. They will not say something they don't believe in. We've had many times when you know a copywriter came in and was like, what about this for the commercial? And people just won't say it. They're like, no, I care about my clients. I am a real trainer. I'm not just an entertainer. I'm not saying that. I don't believe in that. So, but that's just so awesome. You like, like we trust the authenticity. When yeah. people know that you're going to stick to your word and you're going to go with it, it just it helps build it even more. And you don't have to say that we decided not to say this on the commercial because right. we don't believe in it. You just don't do it. No. And it it just forms your your narrative over for time. And people just say, I don't know something about them. It just I, I get it. I want to be up be a part of it. Yeah. And you're just sticking true to who you are. I mean, money's great to get business started because you you do need it, but and if you just focus on the bottom line all the time, you may make decisions that it will improve it short term. Yeah. But long term, you're going to lose those clients because there's somebody else out there who's going to be more authentic and more trustworthy. Yep. So these are little foundational things that build great businesses. And I'm I'm glad to see you guys, guys doing it because it can be it can be initial sticker shock when people say, how much does this whole thing cost? And they hold, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. But then they start hearing from their friends and family. No, I'm doing it. Here's what I here's why I like it. Yeah. You trust me. Let me show you why I believe in the program. And okay, well, if you if you trust them, let me give them a shot. And then they get that great experience. It's so cool. The members are so passionate too, and they really are our best marketing. But I will say the company in general has always been on this side. They're like, we want to do it the right way, the science way. If we don't know the exact answer, we'll find the answer from the right people. It's only ever like marketing people that kind of come in, you know, consultants are like, why wouldn't we just say this? Like, let's get a six pack, you know, six packs only on our models. And those of us that work in the industry are like, that's not right. People want to see themselves. They want a trainer that's a little older. They want a trainer that's their body. Like I do a lot of prenatal programs, but I'm not pregnant currently. Um, so I like to have a pregnant model and trainer with me so people can see that body moving, not just me like, use your diaphragm. They're like, yeah, I have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Keep showing that me might, your abs. That yeah. might affect something, yeah. Yeah, so we try to like 
just reach people where they are and not just follow the trends. And I think the founders have been so good about it. They really listen to us. They also, one of our founders started in fitness and strength training, changed his whole life. His story is amazing, but he's, he's with us. He's like, Oh, that trend does sounds cool. But like, what does that actually mean for what we do? And if we just stay the course and give the good information and the solid workouts, like we're going to be the one that ends up in a good place at the end. So exactly. it's working so far. It may take longer, but if you want a story about what maybe didn't work, look at Peloton. Ooh, I mean, ooh. you know, that's a uh, bless they, them. Yeah. Bless that mess. I mean, yeah, they, you know, it's a great product and the pandemic, it yeah. just shot up and then sometimes it could be fool's gold. You know, I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but like right now having a hard time selling treadmills and bikes, mm-hmm. that customer loyalty, it's, you know, do I find someone that I agree with more or not agree with, but that I feel more authentic to you build a connection. It's like what I told you about the, the show here. I don't expect us to grow fast in a year, two years, or five years. This is going to be a slow, organic grow because I really want to take time to talk to people like you who know more than me about all these specific topics. Mm-hmm. And eventually, as time goes on, the more people I bring on, the more people are going to get interested in it. Of course. So, yeah, yeah I'm not, if I want to get popular tomorrow, I'd be saying all these viral clips about Trump or about <laughs> Kim Kardashian. And yeah, you might get a couple of viral clips, but then who, who are you after that? You're known as that person. You're not, right. you were chasing the money right away. You weren't chasing the long-term organic growth. And so many of us get so caught up in what social media says. Oh my gosh. But here's somebody who's authentic and actually cares about solving other people's problems. It's it's great to see that. We just need more of that. So yeah. I'm glad to see that Tempo's doing a great thing. When I saw the interaction of how it works, I'm like, this, this looks pretty cool. You it's cool. You'll that. have to try it someday. I always, I get people in my house. And I'm like, go try it. My parents <laughs> have it. My sister loves it. My sister takes my classes, but she does it with like a screen. She won't let me see her. She's like, I can work out with fitness Melissa but I can't have you looking at me too I'm like but that's me and she's like it's different okay it's like a different (laughs) thing I'm like okay but it's really cool we I I always try to say too in all of our trainers like I'm constantly learning I'm always trying to get more information but I take the things I think are right like every certification I'm like ooh, that's a little too much because they're selling a point of view right it's their passion project but I know that I've been wrong before and I try to constantly update my knowledge. So I might have told people something eight years ago when that was the research we had. Right. And then I switch it. I'm like, okay, you shouldn't do hit every single day. But when we first found it, it was like the magic exercise or like 20 minutes and, you know, your body's going to change. And then people started getting injuries and they weren't fueling probably. There's just, you learn yeah. stuff always if you're looking to learn. Yeah. You have to be looking for it. But yeah. I try to update my stuff all the time. I mean, being able to have the courage to say, yes, when I said that, that was absolutely what I believed in. This is what the research says. Yeah. The research is different now. I'm wrong. Yeah. You know, or I'm. I'm learning I'm now. updating I'm, my current beliefs. Exactly. You're not holding your feet to the fire and say, nope, I said that and I'm sticking to it. Whatever. Yeah. It's like, well, if, if the other information coming out now says something different, having the courage to say, yep, I'm, you know, I need to readjust. Yeah. That's just so powerful because so many people don't do that. They like, nope, this is who it. I am. Yeah. And that's when they get kooky, right? That's and when it goes uh, like bananas because they're like, it's all this. It's all the time. And then, you know, exactly. You that is awesome. Yeah. So this has been a great conversation so far. Thank you so much for telling me about all this stuff regarding Tempo that I didn't even know about. And yeah. I love, even though I'm not a woman, so I don't relate to like a lot of the, the hormone issues that you yeah. were talking about. I think it's important to get it out there because... You know, especially guys who are married or in long-term relationships, if your wife or girlfriend is going through this, you have no clue what it is. A lot of us are very simple as guys. It's like, oh, just do this and you'll solve the problem, right? And be done with it. And it's like, I'm learning too. It's a lot more complicated than just do A, B, and C. Like what you're saying, the client, the, the doctor that tells the client, well, if you lose 10 pounds, it'll solve your problems and then you'll be fine, right? So start with there first. It's like, no, it's a, 
a lot more complicated things that I just, you know, don't even know about. Right. Yeah. There's so much under. And I mean, yeah, there's so much more with women training, too. It's just frustrating. Exactly. (laughs) So if you were to give advice to the average client who's Mm -hmm. maybe looking for a good personal trainer and like, you know, they they're starting off from ground zero. They don't know what to do first. They don't know it's in my diet. Do I go to the gym? Do I go to 24 hour? Do I go, do I spend $3,000 on a personal trainer and work with them specifically? How would you best give someone advice who's just starting out from bare bones, how to get on their fitness journey? It's tough, but I would say you have to really look at your life and figure out what's going to work best for you. Personal trainers are amazing, right? Having a personal program is going to be it. But if that's going to set you back too much financially or the commute's going to throw you off, If it's going to be too hard to get there, that's not the right move for you. If you're really communal, maybe start in group fitness. Go somewhere that teaches a little bit more about strength or start. Just learn more about your body and like how you like to move. I also always tell people to try something at least three times because you might hate it the first time. And then the second time you're hearing more, your body's moving better. The third time you might really like it. So give yourself a couple, but try to look for things that are have been around for a really long time and are based in more science. So don't just jump to the new like bungee cord workout. Maybe do it every once in a while for fun if you really like it, but like you probably don't need to be on a trampoline in a class like listening to EDM. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not it. But also like go outside. There's so much you can do on your own. Like download an app, download the Tempo app. We have we have bodyweight classes, but just start moving. Don't make it this thing that you have to get so much to do because it's not. Like really our bodies are pretty powerful. Body weight movement is huge. I started there. But don't give yourself all the excuses of if I don't have these right shoes and if I don't have the treadmill or all these resistance bands. Like, Just figure out where you are and, and start there as much as you can. If you can get a personal trainer, do it. It'll change your life probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't give yourself all those excuses of the can'ts. Like, just start doing something. Just start somewhere. It start be, somewhere. It could be just walking a mile a day to get yourself into it. And then as time goes on, that becomes two miles. Then yeah. it becomes, I'm going to go to the gym and try this weight. And I hear a lot of women talk about this, about the intimidation when you go to a gym. Yep. And all the guys, now we're all doing, <laughs> it's just how guys are. We're like, oh, he's he's benching 205. Well, I got to do 210. I just oh, got to yeah. do it. And you, you, you don't really tell each other. <laughs> it's like a zoo in there. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, we get that competition going like, oh, no, he's doing more than, no, I can't have that. We won't tell the guy. We're like, no, no, no. I just, or you, you kind of want to go tell some, hey, you're, you're doing it wrong, man. Let me tell Ooh. you how to do it. And that, like, leave me alone. I'm going to do it my way. You go mind your own business. So, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's a competition there for a lot of women that, that they, maybe they want to use the weight, but they don't want to tell the guy, uh, can I use the bench press? Or Yeah. They get nervous. I am seeing more. It's funny. I like midday. I see a lot of women at the gym. It feels like it's a time like maybe they take a break and then they kind of go in when it's more empty. But there's sometimes I'm looking around and all the squat racks are women and they're all doing bicep curls and bench press. I think they are getting less intimidated, but tempo is one of those things that I always really push for people that are not quite there. I'm like, try it at home. You have the guidance, right? The The thing is telling you if you're doing something wrong, there's a person telling you exactly how to do it. You have all this equipment, try it there. Like, see if you like it there because you can get pretty much a full gym experience in your home. You may not like the gym. You might not like the smells and the sights and the people all around. Sometimes I don't. I'm like, get me out of here. You got any funny gym stories? Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> so I try to disappear at the gym. Like it's funny cause I do performance for my job, but I'm really not that extroverted in general. Like I don't love when people come up to me out of nowhere. Like I really have to turn it on. 
So the gym, I kind of like have a hoodie on, like go in the corner, uh. try to get myself done pretty quick. Like I'm like looking around, I'm like, okay, I can do the squat rack for these three and then I'll move over there. But, um, well, how do you deal with it when you're in the gym and there's this guy just walks up to you? Like, you know, he's trying to talk to you. He may be the nicest guy in the world, but how do you deal with that? They always are. Uh, they're always the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> Not picking up on any social cues. That's the funny part. I'm like hoodie on in a corner and people are still like, Hey, can I talk to you? And I'm like, no universal symbol for no headphones. on. Um, but I, I go to a community gym. There's a lot of older, older folks there and I do lift like decently heavy and for this gym, it's very heavy because it's a lot of just like families. And there has been a couple of times where I've turned around like deadlifting and there's someone sitting on the bench, like four feet behind me, just staring directly at my butt. <laughs> I'm like, well, what do I do? Like, I respect my elders. Nice old man. It's getting weird. We're the only people in here. And there was once where a guy, like, he took out his phone and he was just a few feet behind me. Nothing else. He could have been taking a photo of. There's nothing around. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I had to, like, run over to the desk and was like, hey, uh, this is weird. And she was like, oh, my goodness, like, ran over. But it doesn't happen a ton. It's mostly friendly. People are like, what are you training for? How long have you been training? Whoa, that muscle. Like, they're nice. But lately I've been having more women walk up to me and, like, ask for help, which is really interesting. And I'm always, like, elated to do it. I'm like, I'll be late. I don't care. But I've had a lot lately that are like, oh, I've been scared to front squat. Can you show me how you do it? So if they see me doing something, like, I don't know how to use that equipment. Will you show me really quick? I'm like, that's cool. That I hope that cool. keeps happening. Cause I'm ha I think most women are like, yes, I'll show you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was scared of it too. So like, here's my hack. Or but like, now, but now yeah. if a guy asked you the same thing, would it be, would it, would it be the same reaction? I would answer the same, but I would be looking for like, was this just a way to talk to me? <laughs> you know, a lot of time it's not. They're like, Oh, the way you did that lateral raise, like, why did you do it like that? And I'm like, oh, well, I had, you know, a tear in my shoulder, so I, like, modify this way. And they're like, okay, cool. Why did you use the band like that? It looked really hard. Like, if you're making a face <laughs> that looks hard, I feel like the college age guys are like, I want to do that. That looks hard. I'm yeah. Like, okay, yeah. Exactly. Well, it's like PT exercise, but go for it. Yes. Go off. <laughs> How was the dating world out there anyway? Horrible. Oh, I... Oh, treacherous. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so do you want to tell me how much we're screwing up? I can take it. I guess. Um, God, it's such a weird, weird world because of the pandemic and online dating's never been for me. I've always like, kind of dated people I knew, serial monogamous, long-term relationships. But the pandemic, I was like, I'm not even, this is crazy. I don't know what's out there, what's coming next. I'm working a ton. Like, I'll just kind of let it go. But tried to dive in a little bit lately and I just, I think everyone's lost their minds. No one, we want to meet in person. No one knows what to do. They want to hang out with their friends. Like we're here, we're flaky. Like San Francisco, you like, it's sunny. I don't want to go on a date now. Like it feels like a job interview with someone that could be terrible. Man. It's just too much. There's too much stress to it. And I was talking to my coworker Colby, and we have to deal. This is gonna sound crazy, but we always want to make sure a picture has like a little bit obvious muscle. Like I'm not flexing, but I've been on dates before where guys were like, "Whoa." whoa, you're probably stronger than me. And it becomes this like weird <laughs> battle right away. And I'm like, oh no. So we try to make sure they know like I'm kind of fit, but I also don't want to only work out with you. Like I work out all the time. So I probably don't want to go on that hike every Saturday. Like, so we get both where it's like, she's fit. So she wants to be fit all the time. Like let's go on running dates. And then, 
you know, measure our macros. I'm like, nah, like I'm good. I want to kind of lay on a hammock on the weekend sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. It is, it is so different. I, I have a coworker. He's like 10 years younger than me. And he was, I forgot how this, this, this came up. I asked him how he met his girlfriend and he told me it was just like an online dating thing. Like, well, how'd you do it? I'm like, well, so when I was in high school, we didn't have a Tinder and Match.com or whatever. Maybe Thank we had Match. I forgot. You actually had to go out and talk to people. Sure you actually did. had to go out and you know socialize and get engaged in sports or meet people at social gatherings, like kind of like your your grandparents did and your parents did. And nowadays, his uh, response to me was, "Oh, that's just too hard. It's just easier to go online than you just pick him out there. Like, you, like you're never gonna." You know, it sounds cheesy, but you're never going to build that connection with somebody through online. They could check all the boxes in terms of that's the right height, the right money, the right job, whatever. And then you meet them in person and it doesn't matter at all. It oh. really doesn't. It's really about how you have that interaction, that, that connection with one yeah. another. Do in you, biology, like I, I didn't realize how important it was to me the way a person spoke until I started online dating. I'm like, whoa, this voice was not what I expected or your cadence or your body language. I think even like... I mean, pheromones, smells, some people you're just not attracted to. And maybe you were because you played like guess who dating and we're like, oh, that picture, I guess. It's weird because if you looked at everyone I've dated and you line them up, there would be no through line physically. You would have, you'd be like, well, this is crazy. But there's obviously like personalities and you know, the way they carry themselves and what they probably did for a living, other things that I was attracted to. So when I'm on the apps, I'm, I just kind of freak out. Like, I don't know. Like, is that person attractive? What if they are not very smart? Or what if they're not funny at all or have really bad takes or smell weird? Like, I don't know any of that from their photo. So I have to just go off of superficial only. And you're setting yourself up for a weird experience regardless because you went in looking for someone's face. And a lot of times guys are wearing hats and have sunglasses on. And then you walk in a bar and you're like, I don't I don't know who you are. Like, I truly could not find you in this room, but it's just, yeah. It's amazing how different men and women think. Cause for, for guys, it's very visual. I mean, I know. We'll just tell what it is. It's, it's great like, for you guys. It's like, if it looks a certain way, then that checks the boxes. I'll deal with everything else. And we don't understand because our minds are just wired differently that for the, for women, it's not about that. It's a lot about the, the connection, the mm-hmm. emotional side of it, how you talk to somebody, your social network, all these things that for us, it doesn't click. So we think that, okay, if she, if I look, look good and I'm in shape, then obviously she's going to want to see that from me. It don't work that way, dude. But if you mm-hmm. asked me when I was 18, I would have believed the same thing. Because right. you don't know that. You just right. don't know until you get life experience. You start meeting people, talking to people, building your own network. I mean, people don't believe it. It's like, I'm 40. And it take it took me until my mid-30s, well, my, er, my early 30s, before I really got my act together. I mean, it's everything from your education to sacrifice and to building a job, to earning money, to investing, to doing all this. And yeah. we're sort of told we're supposed to have that by age 22, 23. Cuckoo. It's, you're, you're still another decade away. You're a baby. Those yeah. are babies. I mean, but, your brain is still developing until you're 25. You yeah, can't exactly. rent a car and they're like, but you can go do everything else. Like, no. Exactly. We're taught once you have that college degree, okay, your life is set. Go Crazy. out there. Like, nope, you still no. got another 10 years, buddy. I don't know what to tell you other than just don't think that because you got that degree that your life's problems are solved. Maybe you do get a good job from it. And if you do, good for you. But yeah. there's a lot that we got to learn about. Yeah, just, you're still going to have to gain experiences and knowledge. And like my brain, I, same, I'm mid-30s. But I'm just starting to settle into myself and feel very sure about the things I'm doing. And it, 
it just takes a long time. I thought I was hot shit when I was young. I was like untouchable, <laughs> so feisty. And I'm like, who is that? I don't want to be her again because how is she alive? <laughs> I, was, I was doing it all. But just so much happier and more settled in who I am now. And maybe that's why dating's harder because I'm like, nope. <laughs> but what have you learned? Like if you went back in time and you talked to your 21-year-old self and the way that you thought about life, what would you tell yourself even though you probably wouldn't listen to your you know, self now about what you should think about life going forward in terms of career, in terms of meeting people, in terms of money, how important is all that? What would you tell yourself? I think I would tell, I, one, I would tell myself, you can ask questions because I always wanted to learn things myself. Like I never wanted to ask questions or have anyone like have anything over me. I was like so independent. Um, but like, it's okay to ask questions. Okay. To learn from people. Uh, your curiosity doesn't have to be just your own independent. Like you can lean on people more because I was just so hyper independent, like open the gym by myself. Just everything was by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and now I just realize how important community is and support and you get a lot more done and people want to help you. You can't be the person only helping other people because you will drain yourself out. And I did that for a long time. And now I'm like, no, I'll ask for help or I can't do everything. I just try to take on less than I did before. Um, and just make more time for like, just joy. You don't have to hustle so hard. Money comes, money goes. Sometimes things work. Some is luck. Some is experience, but like take breaks, go on vacations, like try to enjoy every day. Cause you really don't know how many right. more you have. And do you want to be stuck inside all day? Like working on something that maybe never, I don't know. Try to live your life as well. It's like hustle culture is kind of kind of yeah. dumb, dumb over if, it. <laughs> so what's Melissa Boyd's future looking like in 20 years? Where do you see yourself? Well, it's so funny. I've been thinking lately. I'm like, okay, physically, I'm going to work out probably my whole life. But the performance in this many hours, like we're getting to the end. You know, mm. athletes, you're not working your best for so long. So where can I go with this where I can still feel like I'm helping people and giving good information, but not having to like physically have such a demanding job. Um, so I'm moving more into more interview stuff, working more PR for the company I'm with right now, but what that looks like next, I'm not exactly sure. I would love to open another gym because I love my community, but I don't want to be so landlocked. Like I really want to do more traveling. I didn't do any when I was young. Cause I was so like work, yeah. work, work, open, open. Um, so just want to get out there more, but I'm actually funny enough doing like a live dating comedy show really next month (laughs) I was like I'll just do like more hosting and more things that are just kind of fun see where this kind of takes me next while I do the physical stuff too but yeah I was like everyone hates online dating I'm gonna do like an old school kind of dating show in real life and just make it really fun and interactive do you put the pressure on yourself or do you feel the pressure from outside people like parents about you becoming a parent how do you view Mm. that that's always a topic that especially a lot of young young women don't want to talk about or they're like i i don't want to think about you know kids in my 40s or whatever yeah that's interesting because when i was young i was i didn't realize how much i was but i had a timeline I was like, I'm going to do X, Y, Z by this day. I'm going to do this. I was always the young one. I started school really early. I was really good at school. Always kind of like got a new hobby, got really good at it, and then kind of like moved on to something else, which now we know is ADHD. Hmm. Um, At the time, I was just like, I'm bored with this. It's silly. Like, I'll do something else. (laughs) But I gained a lot of skills really quickly um, and got really proficient at them and then kind of like moved to something else. 
And I didn't realize how much I was doing like onto the next thing, onto the next thing. So I got married pretty young, um, and got to raise a little girl that was my ex-husband's for seven years through her like youngest years. And then thankfully I'm still in her life pretty actively, but I got to do the mom thing. Like, of course I did not, you know, birth her, but she, her biological mom is not around. So I got to fully be mom, like bring her to work bring her to school, like go to meetings, like was fully in her classroom, making lunch every day. You know, when lice came, I was picking them out, throwing birthday parties. So I really got to do a lot of that. And I realized I am super maternal, but I don't believe I really need to have a kid of my own. I, I do have some health problems like autoimmune. I've had some other stuff come up. I'm like, I don't know if this is the vessel to hold a kid. I also know I recover slowly from things. I think it would be a really hard road for me, but I am very thankful. My friends and family have a ton of babies because I love being around Mm -hmm. them. I think I'm a godmother to like eight kids. Wow. That's really crazy. But, and I I got really into like prenatal strength and training and I want to empower people that feel like they're kind of left behind, right? Like people that have children get just left with broken bodies and are told like, figure it out bounce back like we cut you open but try to bounce back they're thrown back into work so I got really passionate about learning as much about that fitness and I did some doula work for a while because I wanted to be in it I was like I want to really see how this is working for someone's body so I do feel maternal I love kids I think if it happened I'd probably adopt um in the later years but I'm really enjoying being single and uh not with kids in my 30s like I can do things I love my friend's kids, but like, if I want to go do something, I'm doing it. If I don't, I don't have to. A sniffle is not stopping me from like going on a girl's trip or a vacation. Like, it's pretty, pretty cool. One of the the fears that I always hear about is if I don't have kids from from the women's point of view, who's going to take care of me when I'm 70 or 80 years old? Because all we know is what our grandmothers and grandmothers and grandfathers did, which is you have kids. And then when you can't work anymore, you can help raise your kids, grandkids and so forth. And the cycle just repeats itself. We're at an age now where we don't technically in in our country, in our world, in California, it's different everywhere else in the world. But you have the ability to financially be set for the rest of your life if you invest your money correctly and you plan out long, long term. We're living longer. We know what we're putting in our bodies. We're staying physically fit in ways that our parents never did at the same age that we did. Like I said, my dad at 35 was already with the beer belly and balding. And that's just what I thought happens when you turn 35 and not knowing that it's actually how you live your life that makes that determines what that is. So it's possible. A lot of us in our generation, short of getting hit by a bus, we could live to like 100 years old and probably still, you know, go out there kicking and have to worry about being stuck in a, in a, old man's home or old, you know, old people's home. Yeah. So it's a different way of looking at it. And, you know, there is no right or wrong answer to this. It's just interesting to, 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 to see how some people might take that path to have children because of the fear that no one's going to take care of me. And I need the kids to do that. But in real, but in reality, if you invest in your own self and you're comfortable with that and you're comfortable with the choices you're making now, yeah, you could definitely take care of yourself later on in life. Yeah, I think uh, our generation too, I think we've kind of distanced ourselves from that, like, take care of me. Mm-hmm. I don't expect my parents to take care of me ever. I paid for all of my own things growing up, my school, lived in San Francisco since I was 18, not easy to do. Oh, yeah. um, I, I just don't think I have that mindset at all that I need to be taken care of by anyone, which, you know, younger, it was even worse. But 
I would want to take care of my kids, not the other way around. Like, I'd want to make sure that they have it. I don't need them to take care of me. And I know I come from a place of privilege. I have a huge family, massive Italian family, so many kids, so many aunties and cousins, and we're all extremely close. So I know I still have people. Like, even if I get old and don't have kids, there's going to be people around me. Every baptism, 70 people show up, you know? like. Anyone elderly, we're all going there. They're getting visits constantly. Like our family just really is like loving and caretaking. Like, I mean, they took in my ex-husband's daughter immediately. There was not a question. It was like, she's in the family. She has gifts now. She's on all the lists. She's here. Like she's part of us. So they're just loving and wonderful. Of course, they'd like us to have more kids. They love the babies. They want new babies. My mom, (laughs) she's still like, come on. You got this. Oh, you, you're the one. You're the youngest daughter. I'm like, <laughs> sorry, mom. You're like, thanks, mom. Yeah, not helping like, here. Make me a grandma. But she, you know, she loves my ex's daughter too. They're so connected. It's so funny. But I just, I don't think I need it. I don't think I need it personally. No, you're not yeah. wrong in believing that. And I think a lot of women appreciate hearing you. You say that that a lot of them feel that they can't say that because yeah. society tells them, well, you're supposed to. This is what you just do. No, it doesn't, you know, if it's not for you, it's not, not for you. But I think the fact that you still are in somebody's life. So mm-hmm. you're, um, what'd you call your daughter-in-law? You still call your daughter? She calls me bonus mom. She calls me mom, um, which I've never asked her to do, but she's like, you are. So, They're, you know, she's a teenager now. I'm like, someday she hates me. Someday she's like, she doesn't talk to me for two weeks. And then the next day it's like, please come here and braid my hair. <laughs> like but, teenagers are crazy. Yeah. But the whole point is you're still having an impact in children's lives. Yeah. You're not just sitting somewhere saying it's all about me and I'm not helping anybody else. The fact that you're still giving back to society in a way, even think about adopting, like that's incredible. Yeah. Um, there's just kids out there who don't have parents at all. And they're like, they don't have anything to help them out. So even if you're doing your part by helping them. They might not be your biological blood, but you're still making an impact on their lives. And San Francisco, we have people have more dogs than they have kids over here. So (laughs) kind of the way that I tell them is, do you want to spend $2,000 to get a dog that's like the perfect purebred? Or do you want to go to the shelter to the dogs that are already here? Maybe they're mutts. Maybe they're not quote unquote perfect, but they're already here. They're alive. Cost you a hundred bucks or 200 bucks and you give a dog a home. And when you put it that way, it's like, yeah, it's like I'm paying somebody to breed me a dog where I can just take care of what's already out here. I know. And it's like, okay, you, there's, I'm not knocking you if you decide to pay a breeder at your, at your own choice, but there are animals here that do need a home. So when you adopt a kid or if you're a teacher or you're just giving back to kids in any sort, sort of way, it sort of fulfills that need in you of yeah. being a maternal or paternal. If you're a guy and you're like, I want to, I love kids, but for whatever reason, maybe I can't or don't want them on my own. doesn't mean I can't impact little lives. doesn't mean I have little nephews and nieces that I can help raise and, and you know, help my brother or my, or my sister create a, yeah. someone who's going to be doing great things in the world. So I think getting out of the mindset of you have to have your own biological kids is great because as long as you're impacting kids' lives in another way, I think you're still fulfilling that deeper need that we all have to be parents and yeah. bring great people into the world. I get to be the fun auntie too. Like when my girlfriends have a baby, I'm the first one there. Like, <laughs> I'm strapping that baby on. I'm walking around. My cousin just had her third. It, it was a surprise. Anytime she's alone, she calls me. And I go over there, and I take whichever one has been the biggest problem, and we go out and have a day, or they come over. So I think that also gives me the flexibility to, like, really be there for people when they need it. And I get, of course, like, the fun time with the kids. I feel super comfortable with kids. Like, the, it can pop right out. And I'm like, all right, hand it to me. I'm not scared. But... Yeah, I feel really, the dog thing you were just saying, I've been a failed foster three times. Every time I foster a dog, I end up 
keeping it. Cause I'm like, I love you so much. <laughs> no one else is going to love you. And my sister and I, we live together right now and she, we've talked about fostering. We're like, let's go through the foster system, put ourselves in. Like we both feel really confident that we could, we have both have good jobs. We make decent money. We have a nice house. Like we could have a kid here that needs a little bit more help and is maybe a little older and is having a hard time or maybe their parent is coming back. And I think we both feel really confident that we could do that for someone and not feel that like need to own it. Like yeah. I, I just don't feel that. I'm like, as much as we can help some someone or something, we should do it. So exactly. Yeah. So that's great to hear. And yeah. I'm, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who have the same you know mindset that both me and you have. It's yeah. like it doesn't matter if you don't have your own specifically, but if you're helping kids or animals out there on your own, you're still doing what you instinctively were sort of born to do, whether yeah. we want to admit that or not. Yeah, I don't need the it's mine. It's like my kids, my friends' kids. I feel like are mine. Not like I gave birth to them, but I'm like, oh, I feel as protective over you. If something happened to your parents, I would immediately, like, there would be no thought that, like, you're not mine. I just, I think I feel a general need to caretake over anyone that needs it. And I, I just don't have that, like, you don't look like me. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, God forbid you're 85 and something happens to you, they'll still be there to right. help you out. You know, so you're not like, you know, on my own. Well, well, I just got dementia or something and I have to rely on the state. Like, no, you still have. People yeah. who are kids in your lives who can still help take care of you. Yeah, and I know that's a big privilege because some people don't have huge families or huge Some people groups. don't, you're right. So that would be different, right? They might actually need to have a kid or a family, but what if you have a bad kid? Well, you, oh, yeah, there's plenty of people out there that, you know, kids don't talk to the parents. Yeah. I've seen that in my own job plenty of times. Where's your son? Though? He doesn't talk to me no more. Like, wow, you're just Imagine sitting that. in here. Yeah. You went through nine months, 10 months, basically. I pushed you out, now I don't see you. I'd be so pissed. Oh, yeah, like, I can't <laughs> tell you how many, like, especially when, when we go to the old folk folks home and then you oh. see the, the kids there who are just, okay, my mom needs this. Okay. How much is it going to cost? Oh, don't give her that. Just give her this. Or they'll go and say, hi mom, you good. You got everything you need. All right, bye. And then six months later they, they come back and see her and then they're just sort of in the home. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. A, yeah. It's a, at least they're taken care of, but to not have anybody like your own kids. Like, yeah. but then I get it trying to, you know, trying to bring in somebody to your own home if you only have enough, enough space can be difficult like these are not easy questions there's no easy answers and know. it costs a lot of money exactly like, people don't I, people don't think about that as much but having a kid is very expensive mm. schools the places you live like you have to make a lot of changes to your life and it's really easy to have one yeah exactly not easy once they're out and it's a it's a lifelong commitment you don't you don't know what you're gonna get also, there's bad parents. Like, I understand kids that don't want to always check in on the parent. They yeah. might not have been great. Then maybe they shouldn't have had a kid. Yeah, there's just a lot to it. I'm a like, lot to it. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So one last thing I want to ask yeah. you before I get you out of here is what's your advice to other personal trainers, people who want to build their own gym, uh, start their own program? What's advice that you can give them from what you've learned on either building clientele, building the business to help get them started if they want to do, try to increase their own business and personal training? I would say people get really obsessed with certifications just like I did. And you should, you should learn as much as you possibly can. You should gain as much knowledge, work with as many different kinds of people as possible, but don't stop yourself from learning and getting the experience because you don't think you have the exact right thing yet. Hmm. Like don't only learn from books because what you learn working with people is going to completely change what you learned out of the book. Like everything in the textbook changes when you see someone actually move or see the struggles they're going through. So be flexible with people, be flexible with yourself. You're, you're learning, start super simple. 
don't try to like make people really crazy complex programs. Start with the basics and just know you don't know everything and you're going to continually change your mind for that person. It's different for that person. It's different. Like you're kind of a therapist, you're kind of a performer, um, and show up on time. Oh, don't waste people's time. That's a big one too. (laughs) But would you, would you, you say is the biggest lesson you learned from when you first started your gym? That is way harder than you think. (laughs) You are not just a gym owner. You're a plumber. You're a therapist. You're you're cleaning up. You know, we're in San Francisco. I had to clean up some things I did not want to clean up on the door. Yeah. People are. You know, you're just responsible for so much, and you still have to show up and be positive for people because they're coming to you with their issues. So as much as you can compartmentalize, it is your job. I used to say like for, I used to do a lot of training programs, teach people how to teach a lot of my classes, um, at different gyms and, you know, I'd package them for them. And like, this is the training you need to teach this class. Well, but a lot of it is performance and you have to kind of have a persona. So when I go in, I don't even realize I'm doing it, but it is a louder, a slightly more positive, like a little bit more goofy, but I have like a sing-songy, I'm just, it's different when I go to teach. So I can be nervous before, I can be anxious, I could have had a bad day, but when I like put on the mic or step in front of the camera, I'm the person that they need me to be. So you kind of have to learn, like, can you do that? Some people can't. Some people come in grumpy and they stay grumpy. Like, you have to realize part of your job is to show up for people the way they need you to, and if you can't do that, it might not be the right field for you. Great advice, Melissa. Thank you so much for coming out again. What's the best way to reach out to you if anybody has questions? Instagram. Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? Train with MB. It's just my initials. Perfect. I'll make sure I link that to everybody. Awesome. And I wish you the best with Tempo. And I got to have you back on again. This has been a great conversation. I would love to. Thank you. I'd love to talk. (laughs) Absolutely. That's the best best guest to have as someone who enjoys talking to people. We're all all doing the same thing. We're trying to help solve other people's problems the best way that we can while also trying to enrich our own knowledge about how the world works. Totally. So thank you again for coming on. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you like it, please click the subscribe button, like the video, and share with anybody you think will enjoy it trying to get the message out there. And if you're listening to this episode on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please make sure you leave a comment for me. It helps the algorithm. It helps get the message out there. Then it helps to build the uh, trust that people know that if they listen to it, they might get something out of it. You may not agree with everything that, w- that me and my guests say, but honestly, we're just trying to get more information out there. You take what you can, what works best for you. Thank you, Melissa, for coming out. No problem. Have a good day, everyone. Bye.